Before we get started, I want to put a little something on your radar. Right now, doors are open for Sound Systems, podcast production for indie voices. If you have an idea for a podcast or have been meaning to produce a podcast, but the whole production aspect has gotten in your way, I'm running a live workshop on March 10th at 1 p.m. Eastern to take you through the exact production process from development to release day that I've developed over five years of producing podcasts for brands and artists. All the details are in the show notes, but if you're listening to this episode before February 26th, 2024, you can currently get the workshop, corresponding Notion dashboard, and recording all at early bird pricing. Hop down to the show notes to learn more about the training, and let's get your podcast produced. Okay, that's it. On with the show. Hi, this is Let's Go Again, a philosophical and practical podcast for indie creatives navigating reality while building the dream. I'm your host, Courtney Romano, writer, director in New York City, and the founder of Queensbury Films. In this week's episode, we're talking about those two elusive questions. Where can artists find prestige and where can they find paychecks? The answer isn't just hit it big anymore. The idea of, quote, making it is kind of outdated. So then what is the path to a career that makes both cultural impact and money? That's what we're going to unpack today. But first, updates from this week and an offering for you. In this week's What I Worked On, I continue down the rabbit hole of Robert McKee's book, Story. I know this is one of those books read by the masses, much like Save the Cat. I was like thinking I was the first person to ever read Save the Cat, and lo and behold, this is like the thing that people read in the industry. Anyway, I have to say that anything instructional like this is actually so helpful to me because my ideas are like wild cats and my brain is constantly trying to herd them. And one of the things McKee says is that this book is not a book about rules. It's a book about principles. And that really helped me frame a lot of things, not just the writing principles, but what are the principles in my story? What are the things that hold up the story? What do I believe in? And what am I ultimately arguing for once the screen goes black and we roll credits? One of the reasons I love writing screenplays is that every character gets to kind of act out your opposing arguments. So I'm I'm always personally holding like two to five conflicting ideas in my head at the same time, just as a matter of practice. And there's this sort of elegance about filtering each one of those thoughts through a character. And it's just fun to have them all duke it out. In the book, McKee writes, true character is revealed in the choices a human being makes under pressure. The greater the pressure, the deeper the revelation the truer the choice to the character's essential nature. So as my characters are duking it out, I'm also trying to push each and every one of them to their edge, to their greatest pressure. Even if I don't keep all of those plot points in there, those like highly pressurized plot points, doing it as at least an exercise so that I can find out what they and what I believe. It's messy. It's a messy draft. It always is. And that's what I worked on this week. 
All right, let's pull a card. I am using the Mike Wilcox Tarot and Oracle deck. And this card is just a little um, way for us to set an intention, a way for us to kind of focus wherever you are right now. I feel like I'm always coming in hot with like 8 million things going on. And so it's actually a great way for me to just like focus where my energy wants to go. And hopefully whatever I pull has some kind of reflective meaning for your life, connects you to your intuition. So this is where we're at today. Whoops, flew out of my deck. Hold on, I got to bend over to pick it up. The moon. Okay, the moon's meaning. This is from the guidebook that Mike Wilcox wrote. Ocean, water, night, passions, music, cycles, mother, dance, power shifts. He writes, the moon appears to shine light on the flowing of our emotions, the pull of our feelings, and the deep passion that comes alive in us. The moon reminds us that things come and go and come again. We are cyclical creatures and we do best when we dance with it, no matter if it's high tide or low tide. The moon asks us to dance more. Dancing frees up so much space, releases so much emotion in a positive way, and frees our spirit. Dance more every day and night. Often we spend lots of time looking at our negative emotions, trying to find ways to feel better. When the simplest way to feeling better is to spend more time looking at our positive emotions. Waves can propel you or they can crash on you and push you under. It's all a matter of how you navigate the natural and unavoidable highs and lows. On being emotionally affected, sometimes we are in great power and other times it may feel as if we are helpless. This is the push and pull of life. The art of it is not to be pulled all the way to one end or the other of this natural force. If we allow this, we will feel out of control and at the mercy of all outside circumstances. If we ground ourselves, we can allow for those ups and downs without being pulled so far off center. This tide rises and falls, but the earth remains where it is. Maybe a little sand goes out, but then a little comes back in. Just imagine if the whole beach left every time the tide went up and down. That's what it's like in our emotional body when we are ungrounded. The moon warns not to be lost in our path by the powerful poles of emotion. When you feel this, you can call in the grounding energy of the earth and the stable light of the sun. After all, without cooperation with the stable sun, there would be no moonlight to dance in, and without the grounded earth, no place to dance at all. This actually makes me think about the 2008 recession. I was just thinking about this today, about how crazy that was and how for those of us who were coming out of school at that time and were also actors, like we had a couple of whammies against us and how crazy it was to just be like, okay, I'm going to pursue acting and it's already a hard profession, but now I'm entering a market that is like completely in disarray. And I remembered um, just today, I just remembered thinking about like what that felt like and just thinking, well, we've got to do what we've got to do. And like, we're just going to roll with it. And eventually it'll be not a recession again. And then we'll be in a, a new, new landscape. And I think that this idea of the moon and the ebb and the flow of the market and the ebb and the flow of the artist's path is something that's really important to remember because we think that everything is just like a straight line upwards and upwards of success 
even if we know that's not true, we still kind of assume that somewhere in ourselves, or I should just say I do. I'm, I know that's not how success works. And yet if it's not working that way in my life, I'm like, well, what's going on? It's like, well, what's going on is actually the natural ebb and flow of things. And I think when we talk about artists and money, and this is part two of our series on artists and money, I think that we have to remember that that things are not fixed. Like we said in part one, money is mutable. So I like holding on to this idea of the moon and natural rhythms, natural cycles, not being surprised by anything, not being swept out, like the image of the beach being swept out to sea, I think was really powerful. So not being, not letting the beach <laughs> like be swept out, just like let the emotions come, let them go and ride the wave just to like butcher this metaphor even further, ride the wave of the ocean. So, you know, with that, let's let that set the tone for today's episode all about prestige and paycheck. This is the second part of our series on artists and money. And one of the major questions that comes up with money is, how do you make it? And how do you become an artist who gets paid to be an artist? When I was growing up, the idea was you went to New York to be a Broadway star. You went to LA to be a movie star. And when you were a star, that's when you could get paid. I remember telling my grandma I was moving to New York to become an actor. And she looked at me with a very worried look on her face and said, oh, it's such a hard life. And to be fair, this was a woman who knew something. She lived in New York City for 40 years, from her teens to her 50s. She had friends in the industry. She took photos at the Stork Club of celebrities like Cary Grant and Joe DiMaggio and Ethel Merman. She was around the glitz of it, and she was around the grit of it. So her fear wasn't totally unwarranted. She knew what the New York scene was like. And yet, it wasn't the same scene that she was in. The scene that I entered into in New York is not even the same scene as it is now. Industries are different. And so how artists get paid is different. One of the major shifts is the way institutions are pulling away resources and paydays from artists. For actors, it used to be you could make a living in smaller to mid-sized TV roles. For writers, you could get staffed in a writer's room for 12 weeks at a time, but the machine of Hollywood is flattening out those possibilities. They're paying less, they're cutting weeks, and this results in less opportunity for less money. So even a commercial career isn't that financially profitable anymore unless you really hit it big. And even then, you're almost required to have a machine to facilitate the hitting it big. Agents, managers, lawyers, business ops, everyone gets a cut. Similar things are happening in publishing too. I've been weirdly invested in the publishing stories people are talking about over on threads. And there are authors going on and talking about everything they have to do on their own as a published author with a publishing house behind them. They have to build their own audience, schedule and execute their book tour, market themselves, get on podcasts, create buzz, work with a PR agency. I'm watching everyone talk about this on threads and thinking it wasn't so long ago that folks thought if you got a book deal, you were made. But many authors are talking about how the only way they're even able to write a book for a publishing house is because they have a day job. 
They're a professor. They work at a bookshop. They consult, they coach, they teach. So they get a book deal, but the advance isn't that great, or at least it's not enough to live on while writing the book, and they pull the double shift. What I'm seeing online about music, film, gaming, publishing is that the hopes and dreams for commercial success don't necessarily include long-term financial stability. And the big publishers or studios or companies that hire you as an artist don't really treat you like an employee. They treat you like a contractor. So you do your promotion. You do your marketing. You may get paid, but you'll need part of that to spend on the promotion of everything. And chances are very good that it's not going to sustain you for that long. You are in the system, but in fact, you're still very much operating like an indie artist. Okay, admittedly, that's kind of bleak, but I promise you, I'm going somewhere good. The prestige we used to associate with institutions like Hollywood studios, the big five publishing houses, major record labels, and other industry titans is waning. And maybe that's because we can see how commercially successful artists are still struggling to get paid. Or maybe it's because we're distrustful of institutions in general right now as a culture. For whatever reason, though, the prestige and paychecks we thought only came from catching a big break, I hypothesize, will actually start to be achieved at much, much smaller scale success. What I see happening is a general shift away from the allure of mass popularity and a refocusing of art that comes from niche creators. Creators, the audience feels like they actually have a real connection to. For instance, in comedy, it feels like Kate Berlant or Kat Cohen are having more of a moment right now than even the new class of folks of SNL, of which I couldn't name unless I Googled them. And you may or may not be aware of who Kate Berlant and Kat Cohen are, but the people who love them love them. And they're getting significantly bigger opportunities, I would argue, because of that. The prestige and the paychecks, insofar as I can see, are just as possible, just as possible at a smaller level than at a massive one. Small doesn't mean less talented or less skilled. Small in this argument just means like a smaller audience than we might have previously thought could accomplish financial success and cultural impact. Just to be super clear about it, I don't think you need a big audience to make money and to make a cultural impact. I'm certainly not the first person to think this. In 2008, Kevin Kelly wrote about that concept of a thousand true fans. Everyone knows about that. The premise being all you need are a thousand people who truly believe in you and your work to make a business or show or book or you know whatever take off. You don't need to appeal to all the people. You need to appeal to 1,000 people. Practically, if you were a musician and you sold $100 tickets to a thousand true fans, I don't want to intimidate you with my math skills or anything, but that would be $100,000. There are a lot of smaller tier indie artists that could use $100,000 for their next project or to produce a music video or publish a zine or pay for their studio rental. I think we've been seeing this phenomenon play out across industries for over a decade, but I also think there's a vibe shift around this that's somewhat new. People are 
into this. <laughs> like audiences love finding niche, somewhat unknown artists, and artists love connecting directly with their fans. And in those connections, there is money to be made and culture to be impacted. And now, because it's 2024, we also have data about that. Okay, so all of this was kind of coalescing in my brain as I was less listening to the Podcasting Trends Report podcast. They did a survey of 521 podcasters to see how folks were doing. They wanted to figure out essentially, you know, like what works for people growing podcasts and what doesn't, and what can we learn from this one little slice of 521 people in their podcasting landscape. There was a lot of data in the report, but one of the key takeaways that I thought had the most relevance to indie careers beyond just podcasting was how the downloads per episode impacted financial success. In the team's assessment of their data, they noted that the people with the top downloads per episode, upwards of you know 10,000 per episode, all the way up to 60,000 downloads per episode, those people... And then the people with the smallest downloads per episode, so below 100, let's say, those two groups of people reported similar financial success according to their own metrics. Obviously, this is not a fully objective data point because success isn't fully objective and everyone's metrics are different. But it's worth noting that the takeaway was this. The people with the biggest audience and the smallest audience reported similar levels of satisfaction in their financial success from their podcast downloads. Okay, why does this matter? Times have changed. And while it's harder to make it in the big commercial way for artists, it's now easier than ever to make it at whatever level you're at. You may not be in the top 10% of podcasting. You may not be Stephen King. You may not be at the height of fame and fortune, but there is a lot you can do where you are. When you create a relationship with your audience, you stand a great chance at being able to build prestige and financial success exactly where you are. The caveat I want to add into this argument, you can still pursue the pig institutional goals. You can still want to be a star. You can still want to get published by one of the big five. You can still want to get 10,000 downloads per episode. There is nothing wrong with a goal tied into one of these more traditional, bigger, higher, more commercial metrics of success. But it's impossible to leap to the end without doing all the steps in the middle. It's impossible to get 10,000 downloads per episode if you don't first have weeks where you're getting 10 and then 100 and then 1,000. And while you can 100% shoot for that more mainstream success, like we just can't get there without the middle steps. We just have to take those middle steps. And the good news here is that while you're taking those middle steps, you can create income, collaboration opportunities, network expansion, and artistic growth. Those middle steps can create buzz. And you can create a scene with just a thousand true fans. You can find new ways to get paid for your art. You can raise money for projects. There's so much that can be done in the middle of the process. And I would argue that's where we become the best version of ourselves as artists too. Okay, let's make this practical. You can listen through the next three questions 
and just answer them in your head, or you can pause after each question and write down your thoughts in your journal or your notion or wherever. Number one, what is your big end goal? What exactly is it that you want? Beware, this is a tough question. A lot of people don't have the answer. So just roll with it. Like, no, you can change this answer later, but try to be as specific as possible. I had an acting teacher once tell me that I had to say I wanted to be in major motion pictures if that's what I wanted. I just say it out loud. So here's the chance to say out loud what it is you want. Number two, what is the success metric you're measuring for accomplishing that goal? Is it your follower count, money earned, getting an agent, affording a new place? Whatever it is, how will you know when you've made it? And number three, is there a version of this success that could be available to you now? For instance, if you want to make $400,000 a year writing books, and right now you're not making any thousands of dollars a year writing books, what is an action you can take right now to monetize your writing? Maybe you could write a zine or an ebook and put it on your site as a pay what you can product, or maybe you've already done that. And so you want to move into Substack and make it more of a weekly subscription-based thing. The point is don't let the desire to hit those big numbers stop you from hitting any numbers and directly trace your big goal back to something you can do right now with the possibilities you have right in front of you. I think one of the things that is tough when we talk about art and money and artists and money is that we tend to be visionaries and we tend to have that big picture in us. And it can be really hard to hold that big picture and go towards that vision and also do the things at the smaller level that just need to be done. And I would argue that if we can connect that bigger vision to the tasks that we're doing day to day, however small, however medium they happen to be, we can find a rhythm and a momentum that begets momentum that begets momentum. We can find the way forward. That's all I got for you today. Don't forget doors are open for sound systems. It's coming up on March 10th at 1 p.m. Eastern. We're talking system ops to get your podcast produced and published. All the details are in the show notes, including the early bird pricing through February 26th, 2024. If you liked this episode, please consider leaving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Your reviews help us rank in the search and will support us as we start to bring interviews and other fun things your way this season. It really means a lot to me personally. And if you got something out of this episode, I'd be so grateful if you left a note for us. Next week is our last installment of the Artist of Money series. So if you haven't listened to the first episode, go back and check it out before next week. And I'd love, love, love to hear what you think. Leave me a voice message on the Spotify app and give me your thoughts or tell me what you wish we would talk more about when covering the topic of money and artists. I'm dying to know for real. Okay. Thank you. Thank you always for being here. If you're still listening right now, you are the actual best. I hope you have a beautiful week and until next time, good luck out there.